So this morning, more than just, hey, chase wisdom. Hey, try to stay obedient. May we pursue Christ. You're listening to a special message preached at Shoreline Church. For more audio or theological content, or to learn more about Jesus, visit thisisshoreline.com. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word this morning. And we ask now, as we close this series looking at the value of wisdom, Lord, would you open our hearts to understand the truths of Scripture? Would you apply it by your Spirit? And would you equip your church for your glory, for our good, and for our joy? We ask this in the name that matters, the name that is above every name, the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Well, several decades ago, there was an engineer at NASA, and uh, they were assigned to present a series, probably on PowerPoint, but lessons learned from some of the issues they had with the design and the execution of the Hubble Space Telescope. So they're tasked with sharing this presentation, Lessons Learned from Hubble. And uh, on his um, first slide, lesson number one read this. It said, in naming your mission, never use a word that rhymes with trouble. (laughs) Uh, That's some valuable wisdom that was learned from mistakes. Some people learn visually, maybe you learn audibly, many of us are kinesthetic learners, hands-on, but most of us learn through trial and error. Benjamin Franklin, you've heard this quote probably after many failed attempts at inventing the light bulb, was quoted as saying, I haven't failed, I have just learned many ways how not to make a light bulb. Often we learn from mistakes, and this morning we concluded this little mini-series that introduces us to the book of Proverbs, looking at how to have wisdom for a new year. If you haven't been with us, two weeks ago we studied Proverbs 1, 1 through 9, and we came to understand the foundation of wisdom, which is the fear of the Lord. Warren Wearsby defines the fear of the Lord as the affectionate reverence by which the child of God bends himself humbly and carefully to his father's law. We saw in that sermon how Solomon began his reign as the king of Israel, and he began this reign asking for God to give him wisdom out of all things, instead of a long life, instead of wealth, instead of peace from Israel's enemies. And because he asked God for that, for wisdom, for understanding, God then granted him what he didn't ask for, which was those long life, wealth, and peace. And so Solomon's reign, as we saw, started out so promising, so strong, And yet the end of his reign, as we'll see a little bit later this morning, couldn't have been more different. Last week, if you weren't here with us, we looked at the enemy of wisdom, which is folly. And we studied chapter 9, which Solomon personifies wisdom and folly as two women who call out and invite the simple to come and have a meal. We saw that wisdom took the time to prepare a meal that leads to life, whereas folly or foolishness has stolen someone else's food. And her guests will unbeknownst to them, be on the path to death and destruction. And the question we closed last week was, who will we listen to? Will we listen to wisdom or will we listen to folly? And this morning, we close this series by looking at Proverbs chapter 2, which we just read, at the value of wisdom. But what we're going to see together today is that Solomon didn't listen to his own advice. Now, he did listen to the voice of a woman, but it wasn't Lady Wisdom's voice. 
Neither did he seem to heed his mother Bathsheba, who many scholars believe is who Proverbs 31 is written about. Well, we'll see what happened to this wise man and learn what value wisdom has in our lives as well as obedience. But we'll learn also what not to do as we learn from the mistakes made in Solomon's ending in his reign. So this, this morning, is going to be a very brief exposition. You're used to uh, 45, 50, 55 minutes, dear people. Uh, you're used to that in our sermons. Um, today's going to be much more brief um, because our elders want to take some time near the end of our service to give a little bit of a vision for this upcoming year and look back at last year. And it's hard to believe, but this week marks eight years as a church. So we praise God for his faithfulness. You can clap for that. Absolutely. Amen. So let's begin in verse 1, and the first thing we learn about wisdom is that wisdom pursued leads to great treasure. Wisdom pursued leads to great treasure. Look at verse 1 again. My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you. Notice that he begins with my son. Back in chapter 1, the speaker of these Proverbs, we know it's Solomon, but he began addressing, of all people, his son. Wisdom is something that has to be translated from one generation to another. And so Psalm 145.4 says this, One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. We see him beginning with my son, and I learn here that it's my responsibility, it's our responsibility to pass wisdom to pass on the faith, to transmit the truth of the gospel and God's word to our children and to the generations coming behind us. So Solomon begins with my son. There are at least eight father-son speeches in the first nine chapters. And here in chapter two, he invites his son, notice, to receive his words, to treasure his words, to pay attention to his words with his ears and to incline his heart, not just his head, but even his mouth to call out for it, to raise his voice for it, and then to desire it and search for it like it's something of great value, like a treasure buried in a field that you're following a map eagerly to retrieve. Notice that he says, verse 4, if you seek it like silver, search for it as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. Just imagine that for a moment. You find out that one of the 16th or 17th century pirates, which were in this area of Florida, you find out maybe through some history that there was actually hidden treasure, not just in Bradenton, Sarasota, Lakewood Ranch, but probably not Lakewood Ranch, but uh, it's, it's somewhere on your property. In fact, it's in your backyard. You find out there's hidden treasure. Now, I would imagine you'd be just a little bit curious where that treasures located. And you and I probably would locate, if we had a friend that had one, or we'd go and maybe invest a little bit, we would get a, one of those metal detectors or a shovel or a spoon, and we would get in the backyard and we would just try to find where this treasure is located. And yet what Solomon is saying here is that wisdom is far more valuable than hidden treasure. I mean, look with me just one chapter to the right. Just flip the page or swipe right to Proverbs 3. Proverbs 3.13 says this, Blessed is the one who finds wisdom and the one who gets understanding. Notice this. For the gain from her is better than gain from silver and her profit better than gold. She is more precious than jewels 
and nothing you desire can compare with her. So according to Solomon, it's more valuable to receive wisdom than if you were to unearth hidden treasure, even silver or gold. But notice back here in chapter 2 that it is words that need to be received. It is words that need to be heard, words that need to be listened to, words that need to be desired. To put it as simply as we can put it, wisdom is words. In fact, wisdom is God's word. God's word is to be received, is to be treasured, is to be stored up for later. It's to be heeded and valued. God's revelation is something that we are to, in our daily lives, strenuously search for and not passively let in one ear and out the other. Treasuring his commandments means that we may not need or use what we learn today immediately, but we will need it one day. I like what one person said. They said, quote, God's intention is that you and I make his wisdom our own. We are to learn it from the Bible. Nobody is to know it in our stead. So pastors are charged by God with helping us to grow, but we must make his word ours so as to keep it with us, end quote. Notice that if you do all of these things, if you truly desire to hear God's word and heed God's word and his wisdom, notice what the end result is. He says in verse 5, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. So wow, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, but now we learn that it's actually the final result of wisdom. We begin with the fear of the Lord, that leads to wisdom. Now that we have wisdom, that leads us to understanding the fear of the Lord. This is an incredible cycle. So Solomon is advising the young, his son, not to go and chase a career, not to go chase riches, not to chase fame or influence, but to chase wisdom because wisdom pursued leads to the greatest treasure that we could ever desire. So let's look at the second section. I told you it's a short sermon. The second section, starting in verse 6, and here we learn that wisdom proceeds from God. Notice verse 6, For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity. So note with me that wisdom is something that is transmitted from God to man. Thus, you and I, could read every single book that has ever been written on wisdom. You and I could listen to every, quote, worldly wise guru. You could download every YouTube video that is how to be wise or how to be knowledgeable. But in the end, wisdom is something, according to the scriptures, that comes from God himself. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. Listen, we need not guess what has proceeded from the mouth of God is not some mystical, cryptic enigma. No, it has been recorded for us in the Holy Scriptures. If we want to know wisdom, we open the Word of God. If we want to hear God speak, Lord, please speak to me today. He has spoken. Amen. He desires to speak. And so in Proverbs chapter 30, there's a curious man by the name of Agur. And Agur is introduced alongside Solomon. You're like, Solomon I've heard of, but Agur, not so much. Agur is introduced in chapter 30 to contribute some of his own wisdom that he has learned. But notice how he begins. We have it on the screen, or you can turn there quickly. Proverbs 30, verses 1 through 6. The words of Agur, son of Jacob, the oracle. The man declares, I am weary, O God. I am weary, O God, and worn out. 
Surely I am too stupid to be a man. I, am not the, uh, I have not the understanding of a man. I have not learned wisdom, nor have I knowledge of the Holy One. What is going on here? This is an honest declaration of a penitent sinner who acknowledges that, hey, apart from God, I have nothing. I'm approaching God, admitting this morning I lack wisdom, I lack understanding, I lack knowledge, I even lack the power to know God in his ways. I am weary, I'm worn out. I am, I mean, verse two is as honest as it gets. Surely I'm too stupid of a man. That's not a verse maybe for you to claim for your life today, verse two. But see, this confession is supposed to represent all of God's people who begin with the fear of the Lord and rightly admit we desperately need God to reveal himself to us. Notice what Agur goes on to ask, verse 4. Who has ascended to heaven and come down? Who has gathered the wind in his fists? Who's wrapped up the waters in a garment? Who has established all the ends of the earth? What is his name and what is his son's name? Surely you know. You see, these verses are very reminiscent of Job chapter 38 and 39 when God answers him in the whirlwind. And essentially, Agur is expressing his own and mankind's limitation in truly even understanding creation. And the answer to all of those questions is clearly God. But notice Agur even mentions here the Son of God. He says, does anyone know the name of the Lord and the name of his Son if God himself has not revealed it? He's asking, does anyone have the power over creation the way that God does? Who is God and what's his name and what's the name of his son? And then Agur goes on to declare this. He says in verse 5, every word of God proves true. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. Do not add to his words, lest he rebuke you and you be found a liar. You see, Agur comes honestly and he confesses, I am a fool. I lack everything in regards to wisdom. But now, as he looks at creation, as he looks to the Lord and his son, he says, well, now I have power, I have truth, I have provision, and I have the protection of God's word. Every word of God proves true. One person said this, quote, nothing is learned solidly by abstract speculation. No, go to the book. Go to the book. Now, uh, back in chapter 2, verses 9 and 10 tell us that God's word will help us. Look at verse 9. It says, Then you will understand righteousness and justice and equity, every good path, for wisdom will come into your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Solomon, like Agur, he prayed and asked God for wisdom. And you could say it this way in our vernacular. Wisdom was literally downloaded from the Lord to the heart and mind of Solomon the king. And this wisdom enabled him to walk before God in righteousness, as verse 9 says, but also before man in justice and equity. So whether walking before God or before man, righteousness, justice, and equity, he says every good path. And then he says, wisdom will come into your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. But notice that he says, you'll understand every good path. That's important because right before that in verse 8, Notice what Solomon said God's word is active in doing. Verse 8 says that God's word guards the paths of justice and watching over the way of his saints. If you would, just for a minute, circle the word paths there in verse 8 or highlight it or underline it. There's, that word's going to recur, and we'll look at it in just a moment. But it, the word path recurs multiple times in the book of Proverbs. 
Now, the third value that wisdom brings, starting in verse 11, is in that vein. It continues down to verse 22. And we learn in this section that wisdom protects one from danger. Particularly, wisdom in these verses will keep you from two types of influences. So first, you'll be safeguarded from crooked men. Now, that doesn't mean that women are not crooked. And later when we get to the corrupt woman, it doesn't mean that men are not corrupt. Uh, But in general, he's telling you first, look at verses 11 through 15, you'll be safeguarded from those who are crooked. Verse 11, discretion will watch over you. Understanding will guard you, delivering you from the way of evil from men of perverted speech who forsake the paths, there's the word again, of uprightness to walk in the ways of darkness, who rejoice in doing evil and delight in the perverseness of evil, men whose paths are crooked, there's the word again, and who are devious in their ways. So note with me, just to summarize, these men are marked by a few things. Perverse speech, evil deeds, they glory in darkness, and they're shrewd. They are, in a word, not to be trusted. So the thing is, if you were to join with these crooked men, you will eventually become crooked yourself. You'll be corrupted by them. Either when their behavior rubs off on you or when they deceive you and take advantage of you. These men are selling you a product that is bogus and it's going to cost you a lot. Now, some of you have experienced this. You look at verses 11 through 15 and you say, yeah, I've learned that lesson. Maybe it was in a business partnership with a deceptive person. Maybe it was a failed marriage to a perverse liar who masqueraded before your wedding day as a believer, but they really weren't. Maybe it was a close ally or a friend who, in some strange circumstance, ended up turning on you, and then they walked in wickedness. But some of us have experienced these very verses. He says, wisdom delivers you from the path that they're on, from their way. Verse 15, verse uh, 13 mention their paths are crooked and they are forsaking the paths of uprightness. And I've told you a few times to underline that. The word here is the Hebrew word megal. It can also be translated not just paths, but cart tracks or wagon ruts. Now, back in this time period, if the ground of the earth became moist from a lot of rainfall, the earth would become soft. And then if you were pulling some sort of cart or a wagon, the wheels would begin to press indentations into what we would know as a trail. And these little indentations would compel other wagons that are trying to go on that path to be obliged to follow right down into those tracks after the ground dried and hardened. I think we have a picture. This is in the west where there's a particular, I think it was the Donner Trail. There's actually a path where the wagon wheels, uh, basically there's nowhere else you can go. You can't deviate from that. You're stuck on that path. And the idea here that Solomon's getting at is that every one of us is making a track. We're all creating a path. Maybe, sadly, you're stuck in a rut. But we find ourselves walking in some path. And what he's saying here is that wisdom will protect us from getting caught off in a dangerous trail. Back in chapter 1, the father has already warned the son what to do if these evildoers come and entice you. If they try to say, come, let's take advantage of someone else. And the warning back in chapter 1 was this, My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. Do not walk in the way with them. Hold back your foot from their path. They're actually lying in wait for their own blood. In other words, the harm that they're seeking to cause someone else will actually come back on themselves. And so Solomon says, this is the first person you're protected from. 
when you walk in wisdom, from crooked men. But the second is the charming woman. Again, this can be men as well, but look at verses 16 through 19. He says, so you will, in other words, in addition, you will be delivered from the forbidden woman, from the adulteress with her smooth words, who forsakes the companion of her youth and forgets the covenant of her God. For her house sinks down to death and her paths to the departed. None who go to her come back, nor do they regain the paths of life. Now, over and over throughout Proverbs 1 through 9, Solomon keeps warning his son, watch out for the adulteress. Watch out for the forbidden woman. She's more deadly than poison. She's more dangerous than a child that handles a loaded weapon. She's more treacherous than a hostile army at your doorstep. Watch out. Notice with me that Solomon says she is forbidden. She also forsakes her husband. She forgets God's covenant. And her very household is a household that leads to death. And he says there's no return. But verse 16 says, wisdom's path will deliver you from her. So we can make the deduction with reason that wisdom will avoid what is forbidden. Wisdom will laugh off all of those smooth words. Wisdom will stay true to your spouse. Wisdom will keep God's covenant faithfully. And wisdom will lead you to life. Now, I wonder how many marriages have failed because one or both spouses strayed from the path of wisdom. We talked about this last week, but often what is, what is uh, luring about what is forbidden is that it's enticing. We're not allowed to have that. And, and sometimes that's all someone thinks about or tries not to think about. But see, the solution is to fix our thoughts on what is greater, on what is, what is good, what is wise. And see, that is the final benefit of wisdom. The last section tells us that wisdom provides a sure hope and stability. Notice verses 20 and 22. So you will walk in the way of the good and you'll keep to the paths of the righteous. For the upright will inhabit the land and those with integrity will remain in it, but the wicked will be cut off from the land and the treacherous will be rooted out of it. Now we've learned, if you weren't here, in the last several weeks we've been making the case that the Proverbs are principles, not promises. So there may be exceptions to verses 21 and 22. These are not promises, but in general, sometimes, these are what happens generally, but sometimes the upright are uprooted. And other times the wicked do succeed and prevail. But as a general principle, when we walk on the righteous path, what it leads to is blessing, favor, and success. God gave Israel this opportunity. When Israel was right about to enter the promised land, Moses gathers the people in the valley of Shechem. I think we have a picture of this. So he gathers the people in the valley of Shechem. That's a modern day picture. And he, in this valley, it's right between the pass between Mount Gerizim and Mount Ebal. And representatives of six of the tribes stood on Mount Gerizim and representatives of six of the tribes stood on Mount Ebal. And the Levites with them uh, gathered together and called out to all of the congregation of Israel from those two mountains. On the one side, they yelled out the blessings of obedience. And on the other mountain, they yelled out the curses of disobedience. And so as God's people were gathered, they were hearing from both sides what would happen if they obeyed God's law or if they transgressed it. 
The text in Deuteronomy leading up to chapter 30 says that if they disobeyed, they would go out, they would come in, and they would be blessed. They would be the head and not the tail. They would have peace from their enemies, and God's favor would be upon them. The blessings, though, are very short. It's just, a, it's just like maybe a few verses. Then the curses is like a chapter and a half. And the curses include, hey, if you disobey, you won't go in. You won't go out. You'll be the tail, not the head. You'll have war from your enemies. You'll actually be scattered among the nations. And God's judgment will be upon you. Now, after all the people are gathered in that valley and they listen to the blessings and the curses, they said, amen. And Moses went on to say this, Deuteronomy 30, 19. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I've set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life that you and your offspring may live, loving the Lord your God, obeying his voice, holding fast to him. For he is your life and length of days that you may dwell in the land that the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob to give them. Now, who knows what happened? Did they obey the Lord and receive the blessings or did they disobey and become scattered among the nations? Who knows what happened? Did they obey or disobey? They disobeyed. Sadly, hearing God's wise word, hearing it and saying, yes, amen. Hearing God's wisdom is not enough. We all know people who have wisdom in their head, but they don't treasure it in their hearts. So don't miss this. Wisdom is truly only valuable when you choose to walk in obedience to it. By the power of the Holy Spirit, yes. But it's a choice to walk in obedience. Wisdom in the head without obedience in the heart will profit us little. And see, sadly, the example for us in failure is Solomon himself. Solomon who wrote this. Solomon whose kingdom began with the fear of the Lord as the beginning of wisdom. He sought the Lord. He recorded all these wise warnings. He didn't listen to his own counsel. I mean, he knew the scripture verses. He wrote them. But knowing the Bible wasn't enough. It isn't enough to just know and recite the words. We must obey. Look what happens near the later part of Solomon's life and reign. 1 Kings 11, 1 through 4. It says, Now King Solomon loved many foreign women, along with the daughter of Pharaoh, Moabite, Ammonite, Edomite, Sidonian, and Hittite women, from the nations concerning which the Lord had said to the people of Israel, you shall not enter into marriage with them, neither shall they with you, for surely they will turn away your heart after their gods. In other words, Solomon knew what God had said. But it says Solomon clung to these in love. He had 700 wives who were princesses and 300 concubines. And his wives turned away his heart. For when Solomon was old, his wives turned away his heart after other gods, and his heart was not wholly true to the Lord his God, as was the heart of David his father. Wow. You see, Solomon's crowned with the achievement of potentially being the wisest man who may have ever lived in all of creation, and yet Madam Folly, represented in his idolatrous wives, beckon him to her path. So this morning, as we look at the Proverbs, we realize this was probably written early in his life. We look at the book of Ecclesiastes, and it's argued by many scholars that Solomon wrote Ecclesiastes as a, a, almost an apologetic to prove that if you try to seek any wisdom under the sun, apart from the fear of the Lord, 
then it's, it's a chasing after the wind. It's aimless. In fact, some people even believe he wrote Song of Solomon at the end of his life as well as sort of uh, the antithesis of what he should have done, that he should have been in a faithful, committed, loving, monogamous relationship with one woman, but he failed to do that. And this is what it would have looked like. This morning, Solomon and Agur stand before us as two examples to consider. Solomon, the wise king who chose his sin instead of obedience. And then we have Agar, the foolish man who desired nothing more than just to cling to God's word and obey. So my prayer for us is that we would seek and search for and savor God's precious and treasured word. Why? For every word of God proves true. Don't come at me later and say, that's legalism. You're talking about obedience. We're not supposed to, we're not supposed to be legalists. Well, hold on. You're misunderstanding the word legalism. We are called in Scripture to chase wisdom and to obey it. So may we root our lives in the fear of the Lord. May we consider Jesus in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So this morning, more than just, hey, chase wisdom. Hey, try to stay obedient. May we pursue Christ. Here's what Charles Spurgeon said. He said, ah, Christian, you have had many doubts, but you have had them all unriddled when you have come to the cross of Christ. You've had many difficulties, but they have been all explained in the light of Calvary. You have seen mysteries when you brought them to the face of Christ made clear and manifest, which once you never could have known. He says, Christ is the great signpost telling him which way to go. Christ is the great pilot who puts his hand on the tiller and makes him wise to steer through the shoals of temptation and the rocks of sin. Get the gospel and you are a wise man. Amen. Amen. As we close the sermon, which path are you on? Can your life be described as the righteous path or the sinful one? Proverbs 3 would provide us with good counsel as we close the sermon. Familiar words, many of you have these memorized. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Three admonitions. First, trust Yahweh with all your heart. That is the heartfelt, total allegiance to God with the fullness of our being. We dare not trust in ourselves or some created thing. Like a child, we are wholly dependent upon God by faith. Secondly, do not lean on your own understanding. We all have the lean. The lean, some crutch that we go to and lean on in times of despair, times of doubt, times of discouragement. It might be your bank account balance. It might be an ungodly relationship. Sometimes we lean on our parents or we lean on our health or our circumstances, but we're told here, do not lean on your own understanding, on your own strength. That is the mark of mankind since the fall of man is self-sufficiency, self-dependence. So lean not on your own understanding. Thirdly, in all your ways, acknowledge him. That means seek his counsel, seek his will, live for his glory, give him all the credit and all the thanks for all that you have. And I can't help but wonder if we as individuals walked in the fear of the Lord and we as members of this particular congregation, a growing fellowship, listened to those three admonitions and walked in the fear of the Lord, I wonder if our lives, if this church, if this community would not quickly be transformed by the gospel of his grace. Amen? We're going to close the sermon in just a couple words from the hymn, Immortal, Invisible, God Only Wise. Here's what he says. Immortal, invisible, God only wise, in light inaccessible, hid from our eyes, 
most blessed, most glorious, the ancient of days, almighty, victorious, thy great name we praise. All laud we would render, oh, help us to see, tis only the splendor of light hideth thee. And now let thy glory to our gaze unroll through Christ in the story and Christ in the soul. May we embrace and pursue wisdom, but may we pursue Christ, who is our wisdom. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this time to investigate wisdom in the Proverbs. Lord, hopefully this was a primer to cause us to want to spend every day of our year uh, just mining the riches that are within this incredible book and to know the fear of the Lord. That's my prayer for our church. And Lord, as we look back at this past year and ahead at the upcoming few months in 2023, we pray that you'd be glorified in this eighth year uh, and that you would do many more great things in the coming eight years than what we've seen in the previous. Lord, we ask all this in the name above all names. Lord, work in our hearts that which is pleasing in your sight for Christ's glory and our good, we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to our podcast. Shoreline Church meets every Sunday at 9 a.m. and 10.30 a.m. at the Port on Lena Road. You can get more content and more information by visiting thisisshoreline.com. If you have any questions or any prayer needs, please don't hesitate to email us at info at God bless you.